0: Welcome to today's episode of AESP's Energy Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Zaro, President and CEO of AESP. This podcast is all about amplifying the voices of our members, their work, and the hot topics that matter most to the clean energy industry. Today, we'll be talking with Rick Morgan, a veteran in the field of energy efficiency and this year's AESP Mentor of the Year. So let's get started. Rick comes from quite a strong energy efficiency background, 40 years in management of planning, program design, implementation, all in the energy efficiency field. And also came up with some new cost-effective modeling tools in his time. He's worked with a variety of different electric utilities throughout the country. So really excited to have Rick here with us today. And we're just gonna talk a little bit about his experiences over his career, but also what made him decide to become a mentor in AESP's mentorship programs. With that, uh, I just want to welcome you, Rick, to the show. Thank you for
1: being with us here today. Hi, Jan, and thanks for having me, and thanks for the honor of uh, getting this award.
0: Yeah, congratulations. It's mentors like you that really make the difference for AESP as an organization to help grow the next set of amazing energy professionals for the industry. So we really appreciate your efforts and are honored to have you with us today to share your story. You have been in the energy efficiency world for a very long time, over 40 years, correct?
1: Yeah, 1976 to be exact.
0: Goodness. So how did you first get into this industry? What led you into the industry?
1: Well, I went to Ohio State University in natural resources management. When I was, if you remember, and you probably don't, you're too young, uh, the early 70s had the big oil embargo. So there was a very large focus on energy at that time. But during my studies, there was a researcher from Battelle Lab, Dr. Richard Anderson was his name, who came and talked to the class about the significance of energy in our lives and how gasoline and electricity in our society are things we can't do without and that touch everybody. And I got an opportunity to go out to the state of Oregon to do an internship with the newly formed State Department of Energy. And this was... Was way back during the Carter administration, just as even before they formed DOE, Department of Energy, there were funds that were out there to put together the first energy audit program or energy savings programs in the state. So when I got out as an internship, I got the opportunity in the Department of Energy for the state to help put together their first statewide energy plan. We were uh, doing this really by the seat of our pants because we had no data, we had no information, and they wanted us to put together a plan that said oh, let's say 5% of the energy within the state. So we started putting together a plan and we made up a lot of numbers because we had no data about how we do this, how much we'd save from, you know, doing energy audits, how much we'd save uh, from telling people to slow down and not drive so fast. And we submitted it, got the money and started doing the program. So that started me way back in 1976, out in the state of Oregon. From there, I went and the federal government also started putting together funds for a state, a national Energy Renewables Lab and to look at doing solar. And the solar labs, there was a competition across the country to find the solar labs. Well, now it's NREL. It's in Colorado. But back then, there were competitions among the states, and the states formed coalitions to submit this and became regional solar centers. So there were four regional solar centers. I went to Denver and helped uh, do the plan to develop those regional solar centers. Were centers, then went back to the Oregon Department of Energy. And then I came back to the Midwest, where I'm from, and started working for Wisconsin Power and Light, now Alliance. Started really hired there to sell solar water heating units, started doing energy efficiency, had many positions within the utility to do energy efficiency. I did that for about a dozen years. And then I went out, joined a consulting firm, and then in 1995 for my own consulting firm. So I've been working on the energy efficiency that whole period.
0: Wow, that is some serious trailblazing right there. And you started in solar water heating. That's so interesting. You know, I think that's obviously something that's still around today, but doesn't get as much love as some of the other cooler solar, like photovoltaic technologies. Why do you think that is? Why do you think solar water heating kind of hasn't hasn't taken off over the years?
1: Cheap gas <laughs> Okay. And cheap electricity for water heating. You know, it is, it's an expensive investment when you can go out and buy a water heater pretty cheaply. So people don't see that long-term cost payback, and it's not as sexy as something like photovoltaics. Now that photovoltaics' costs are coming down, getting more competitive, that's where we see it. I've seen a lot of cycles where we've gone through where there's been constraints of supply, constraints of prices, and a lot of activity. Then prices drop and supply drop. Then we see a fallback in efficiency and renewables. This time, I think right now, we're in a big change in our industry because of climate change. So it's beyond just supply and price. It's got a bigger societal impact. So I'm hopeful and encouraged that our initiatives will be even more strong, carry through and not see these cycles that have happened over the last 40 years.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I really do think that the rally around climate change, especially with the weather events that we're seeing all over the world these these days, has is going to really change the the discussion, the conversation to something a little more serious and hopefully to your point, a little more consistent where we stay focused on on these solution sets. So totally agree. Tell me, in your work as a consultant, so now that you're working with other utilities after you left, left Wisconsin, you've helped so many of them achieve their energy efficiency program goals. What would you say were the skill sets that you relied on to achieve that success
1: in your role? Well, I was lucky enough to have a pretty broad experience base, but I think the real keys are, one, listening closely. Listening closely to the needs and assessing what's happening. Don't assume you know the answers. And then applying your experience. And what I mean by that is don't just copy your successes and failures, but use them and adapt them to the new situation the client needs. So you need to adapt what you've learned and apply it under the new situation. You can't just go in and say, oh, I did that 10 years ago. This is what you do. It's not the case. And I guess in the end, I always thought it was to underpromise and overdeliver. Make sure you're being honest with your clients and fair. and I've had some wonderful clients um, that I've had long-term relationships with, which has been great. But really, Overpromise and I mean, <laughs> underpromise and overdeliver.
0: Very sage advice, all three of those. So, you know, I think that's so spot on. Not assuming that you have all the answers to begin with to allow for that creativity and out of the box thinking to occur, I think is something I love to see in this industry. And then, given that you had so much experience, I think you've got a lot to work with or have had a lot to work with to adapt those experiences to these new scenarios. And we are seeing so many new emerging technology. Programs for the customer these days, you really do have to innovate constantly to keep up with all of the the new, whether it's demand flexibility type programs or you know electric vehicle programs or energy storage. I was just reading today in the news about a, an iron oxide energy storage project underway. You've got to be able to innovate and constantly learn. So I think that yeah. that makes sense to me a lot that that's helped you be successful.
1: The other thing though, I, and I think we can be in a innovative, it had new applications, but the foundations are the same. And by that, I mean, you still have target customers, you still have to understand their needs, you, and you have to understand the market barriers, what's what's really holding the technology or the application back, and where is it in this evolution? Are we really talking to the new innovators, the early adopters? Are we getting it into the mainstream? So we can use all those foundational understandings to then apply to the new technologies and the new approaches. So I think there's that combination of keep to the basics and understand the basics, but apply then the new realities and new technologies, new markets, the new opportunities, apply them then.
0: Absolutely. You know, we're seeing that happen, I think, on the transportation electrification side, taking the learnings of energy efficiency and solar and hopefully learning how to implement those technologies in a better, faster way. So I'm excited to see what comes on that front. Tell me, what would you say is your favorite aspect of your work? What do you love the most about what you do?
1: I think I've got to go to the working with the great dedicated people in the industry. Formed some great friendships. I've learned a lot, seen a lot of great people because in this industry, you know, we're small. We are, we get along well and share a lot because we are as much cause-driven as we are competitive business-driven. And I think that's a real strength of the industry. And it's something I've enjoyed. You know, I can... Be a competitor one day with somebody and be a team member with another. And then, you know, they could go and work for a utility and it could be a client in the future. And we're still all the same people. So I really think it's been working with these people to try to help everyone with energy efficiency and improvement and saving money and making this a better place. I think it's that cause that really connects us.
0: Yeah, I know that that is a driver for me just to get up out of bed in the morning and, you know, come to the office. It's what the work you're doing is making a difference in people's lives. So I, I too, love the people. And, you know, your love of the people really shows with not only your long career, but all the people you've touched along the way. So, you know, we're very thankful for that time you've given back to the industry to help grow it.
1: Well, thank you. I'm the old man in the industry. It's time for me to get back a little bit.
0: (laughs) We need everyone, and you know our our philosophy at ASP is really to have you with us from when you just start out in your career to when you're ready to go play golf into the sunset somewhere. So we thank you. <laughs> Thank you for staying with us the whole time.
1: Yeah, I I joined when it was ADSMP, the organization. So I've been with the organization since, oh, in the early 90s, I think it was, not long after it formed uh, officially. It's been a great organization for me, great to be able to network and meet people and share ideas. And really been wonderful to be involved. I was involved on the board from 2001 to 2008, I think it was. Part of that time period, the organization was actually going through some tough times. Uh, funds were cut and things were, were down a little bit. We had to be innovative and all chip in to help make it work and grow from there.
0: Well, thanks for helping us maintain over the years and certainly for your service on the board. And it's it's paid off. I think we're growing nicely now, despite even the challenges today that we're facing with COVID. And thinking back about those early years for you, you know, when you first began in the field, did you have a mentor that impacted your career, especially when you were first starting out, maybe even with what became AESP?
1: Yeah. Um. It's a, it's a good question. I was trying to think back about mentors. And I think back, I had, this was early in the efficiency world. So there weren't a lot of us anyway. <laughs> and there were some great people that I worked with on the board and otherwise, Dan Violet, uh, Bill Block, others who were great people and inspired me. But there were a lot of in, what I'll call indirect mentors because we didn't have many official organizations doing this kind of mentorship, which is, I think is wonderful that we have now. So I tried to look around at who was effective and getting things done. And it was not just within the energy efficiency area, but it was also within the utility I was working when I got out to consulting, doing those, or in government. So who was effective? Also, who did I like? Because some people, I think, use techniques that I made them effective short-term, but I didn't think were very uh, good people. And You know, beat up on others to try to get something done. And that's just not the way I think it should be done or wanted to work. So I tried to look for people who had good techniques, motivating people and listening and and making decisions. So I used those people to try to emulate some of their behaviors. So I think it was a combination. I couldn't just go back and say this person's name at this point.
0: But you had it sounds like a lot of good informal role models, which is which is awesome because that certainly does help shape all of us. In thinking about our ASP mentorship program, what led you to sign up for that as a professional mentor?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it, it to me it's time for me to give back to this industry that's been good to me. I also didn't want to pe- people to make the same mistakes I've made, because <laughs> so, I I made mistakes. I've uh, stumbled on things and in my career been confused. And I thought, well, maybe I can help somebody. So it's good to me, good for me to share. And we have an important mission. So how can I help that going forward? So I thought, well, the mentorship sounds like fun. I get to know people better, break just that business barrier and really get deep with understanding People And, you know, when I was thinking about this and other people, I want to encourage people, you don't need to have all the answers to be a mentor. You just have to be good at listening and providing a perspective that hopefully will be helpful. A lot of what you do is... Listen and ask questions based on your experience or just clarifications to help people answer it for themselves as much as anything. And that questioning and getting to know where they're thinking and what's going on and providing perspective is a great way to bond and share and get to know people and help the industry. So it's really was me trying to look, how can I give back a little bit to the industry that's been good to me?
0: Well, you've definitely made your mark. And I know those who have who've met, been men- mentored by you have had great things to say about the feedback that you've given them and the process that you went through with them to help them derive meaning from some of their experiences and really take things to the next level. So we thank you for that.
1: When I do my mentoring, I don't necessarily follow the same guidelines with every person I've done. And I, I think I'm at five or six for AESP. And of course, I've coached many of my clients along the way, but not really my careers as the mentor does, but it's really trying to meet their needs. So when I go into this, I don't have a specific curriculum in mind. I go in and say, hey, where are you at? What are you thinking? What's going on? And we'll go where you direct and then ask probing questions along the way. And we seem to get to where we need to be. So, you know, when I'm thinking, Thinking to others who might think about becoming a mentor, you don't have to, again, have answers. You don't have to have a set curriculum. You can have ideas about where people can go find information and other things. But listening and asking probing questions and providing perspective from your experience or what you've seen others experience really provides a lot to those uh, people who are looking for guidance.
0: What would you say you enjoyed the most in all your years of mentoring? What aspect of mentoring has been the most meaningful for you?
1: Oh, it's just getting to know the people. You know, you also get to reflect on yourself a little bit because when you're asking probing questions of somebody else makes you think maybe a little about yourself and where you are. You know, my work with Quinn has been wonderful and I thank her for nominating me. And she and I are very different. You know, she's a young black woman professional, and I'm an old gray haired white guy. And you know, to think how we would mix, you know, not necessarily what people would think, but because we each bring different perspectives, hopefully I I've given her some, but she's also given me some. It's not just a one-way street. I get benefits from getting perspective as well. Some of the people I've mentored have provided me information that helps me professionally. So I do get feedback that's useful for me and beneficial for me as well as hopefully benefiting them.
0: Wow, I really love that perspective, just to think about it from that avenue of you're also getting that self-reflection. You know, it's more than just a one-way feedback. It's it's really two ways. That's amazing. As you enter the sunset period of your career, <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about from um, a legacy standpoint? What would you want to be really remembered for in this industry
1: uh being the voice of God for
0: <laughs> I love that. And I think you'll keep that for sure.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, and people ought to know I well I can sidestep this. We've got a minute uh, about what that voice of God is. On a PA system that the microphones hook into, into the speakers, there's actually a setting that's called VOG for voice of God. And it's got uh, extra reverberation and other things to make you sound like you're the voice coming from the heavens. So it's not all me. It's a lot of it uh, because of the PA system. But that's how the nickname came about. And I, I guess I would like to just say, that, you know, in the end, when I do retire, I hope people think of it being a nice guy who got things done, who listened and provided useful guidance.
0: I have a feeling they will say just that.
1: Good. Hope so.
0: So now when you do retire, what do you think you're going to take up? What kind of fun things are you thinking about?
1: Well, there's things I do now. All things I do with my family, of course, kids and grandkids. But I'm a professional musician. I play in the Madison Symphony Orchestra. I'm a percussionist and have been doing that since 1979. And it's been an important thing for me to balance my career with some outside interests like that. I uh, hope to play professionally more. And I'm also an amateur photographer, so I hope to do more photography.
0: Well, that is amazing. I had no idea that you were a percussionist. So of the percussion instruments, what's your favorite one to play?
1: I think it's the marimba. In the symphony, there's a timpani player and he's a dedicated person just to timpani. And then the rest of the uh, percussion we play everything from you know cymbals and bass drums to banging pipes and doing sound effects. It's been especially fun. We've recently done the sound, uh, the whole soundtrack behind the Harry Potter movies. So they come project the movie and the symphony plays to the movie. But all the percussionists get to do all the sound effects. So we get to do horns and things banging and uh the sound of the wand um as it you know goes off and somebody has you know a spell there's all kinds of things we get to do so we get to play with all the toys so that's always fun but i guess my only my primary instrument that i enjoy playing for my own is the marimba
0: wow interesting so do you have a favorite piece that you've ever played
1: No, I think there's too many to say that. I have some favorite composers and things, but um, we have uh, over my 40 plus years in the symphony played a lot of things, too. Um, So got a lot of favorites. Wow,
0: really impressive. And what a great way to strike your work-life balance. I've got to think that's got to be a great stress reliever for you to go in and, and make some noise with the symphony. That's got to be amazing.
1: Absolutely. And my clients have been really good about it because uh, I have rehearsals and things, and sometimes I can't travel and we have to do things remotely. And sometimes I have to get out of a concert because of the ESP conference. But, you know, it's, it's all been great to have that kind of balance and time and understanding, but just still have that creative aspect that I can do when my schedule works out and with a great organization like the symphony.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and spending some time and sharing your story with AESP. I think a lot of folks will gain some insights in in thinking about hopefully mentoring some of our our younger professionals and new professionals to the field. And uh, again, congratulations on Mentor of the Year for 2020. Really enjoyed speaking with you today, Rick.
1: Thank you, Jen. Enjoyed speaking with you. And I look forward to seeing you here at the National Conference.
0: Same here. Very excited to start to see people, hopefully in person, in February. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Today's podcast was directed by Ian Motley, edited by Anastasia Clarkson, hosted by Jen Zaro. To learn more about ASP, its members, and the DER and energy efficiency industries, check us out at www.asp.org. Thank you all so much for listening.